Good morning. If you were here last week, we talked about the faith of Abraham, and now we're talking about the will of Moses. Can you sense a theme going on? We're talking about every important male character of the Old Testament in this series. We'll be here for the next 30 years doing this, so hopefully... <laughs> no, the, just the major ones that... It, Teach us something important about our relationship with God. Abraham was able to do a whole lot by faith, seeing things that were not visible, be able to trust in God, trust in his promises. In a similar kind of way, Moses is one of those characters we look to as a perfect example of someone that was deeply flawed as a human being, as all of us are. However, God could use his flawed nature and the good parts of who he was to bring about his will and to exemplify his glory. The point for us this morning, if you leave with nothing else, is the idea that Moses was a human just like you and me. He made mistakes. He sometimes did and said the wrong things. However, he was the exact person that God needed in that moment in time to lead the people away from bondage of slavery in Egypt and lead them towards the promised land. Who knows what purpose you have in God's plan? But you don't have to be perfect to be used by a perfect God. We have three things this morning, because every good gospel sermon has three points. They're not alliterated. I tried really hard. I couldn't think of a good word that goes to the third point, but you'll have to forgive me. Three major things from his life that show us who he was as an individual and how God could best use him. To begin our conversation, let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. If you have a hard time reading that, I tried my best. <laughs> okay? Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, as we often do before we do something we shouldn't be doing in the first place, right? Looked left, looked right, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered him, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed this Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, this is the introduction to who Moses is as an individual. We've learned about his mother and his sister when he was a baby. We learned about all the instances that were going on when he was a child. But this is the first real action we see Moses doing He's a 40-year-old man at this point, and he is beginning to make actions, to do decisions based on what he knows about his heritage. One thing to keep in mind here, 
He grew up in Pharaoh's household. However, he knew exactly from who he came. He was a Hebrew. He related to the people that were in bondage as his brethren. And we see in this particular instance in verses 11 through 15, the way that I view this is I see that Moses had the audacity to be someone who was born into privilege and education, but also be someone who was willing to stand up for his people. That's a good thing. He sees his brethren, the Hebrews, being beaten by one of uh, Pharaoh's rulers here, the Egyptian, and he decides, after looking left and looking right, not seeing anyone watching what's going on, to kill the Egyptian, hide his body in the sand. The very next day, we see him going out to the Hebrews, and they're fighting amongst themselves. He's trying to be someone who goes in between Egypt and his brethren, the Hebrews. That's a good thing. The way he went about it, maybe not the best. He wasn't quite ready yet to be that person to intercede between his brethren, the Hebrews, and the rulers of the Egyptians. He wasn't ready yet, but he had the idea in his mind to be someone who was a prince or a judge or a ruler over the people because of that privilege. If we go over to Hebrews chapter 11, we were just there a moment ago, the Hebrews author has some insight to us, uh, for us, about some of these individuals. If you can't tell, we talked about Hebrews 11 last week with Abraham, and even Sarah's mentioned there for being a woman, a woman full of faith. Then if you continue reading Hebrews 11, we get to Moses. Maybe you can see where I'm getting these people I'm talking about on Sunday mornings from. If you can't, I'm not sure how I can help you, but it's Hebrews 11, right? The Hall of Fame of Faith, we call it sometimes. Hebrews 11, verse 24, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He made that choice to reject where he grew up and how he grew up to be with his brethren. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Now, Hebrews author here has a different perspective than many of the people who would read Exodus would have. He's connecting the idea of the symbolism of what the Israelites did with the, the spiritual realism of where we are in the church looking to Christ, right? By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. I'd imagine we're talking about after the plagues, this moment taking place. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. One great thing about the person Moses, although he was flawed, although he made decisions from time to time that were not what God desired, he was able to identify with his own people. When we are in the world, when we're at our workplaces, when we're going to the grocery store, whatever we're doing in the world, we need to be able to identify with our own people. One of the great things about the church and God's infinite wisdom is knowing that he would have pockets of his people all throughout this world. 
You can go literally anywhere in the world and you'll likely find a group of people who identify themselves by the name of Jesus Christ and are a part of his body. I've mentioned before to you an example of going across the world to Kenya and finding a large group of people that are just like us, believe the same things that we believe, sing praises to the same God, save the same way, we're all in the same boat. We need to be able to identify ourselves based on who belongs to Christ. That's one great thing from the life of Moses. Next, he also interceded for the people. He was someone that was a mediator. He's able to go in between God and his wrath and the people and their sinfulness. Now, we don't have Moses as an intercessor today. We have Jesus. He was also man, also God, able to appease both sides because of his nature. One of these moments is in Exodus chapter 32, beginning in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This is talking about when he was at Mount Sinai, receiving the law from God. The people didn't know where he was and just forgot all about who God was and made a God a calf, a golden calf, for themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, focus on this part right here. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They're hard-headed, we might say. Therefore, now leave me alone, that in my wrath may burn hot against them, and I will consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, or from you. I forget this portion so much, because oftentimes we talk about Moses being the go-between, the mediator for the people in God's wrath, but there is something extra here. And the extra bit is God tells Moses, here's my plan, get out of my way and I'll do this. I will destroy and consume all those Israelites that you redeemed from Egypt by believing in me. And then instead of those people, what I'll do is just make you a great nation. Just like Abraham was given that promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, from him would be a, a great nation. He's saying, Moses, I can give that promise to you. And if it were me in that, in that situation, if I were wearing his sandals, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Instead of a bunch of people that you're kind of related to, you can have your family now be the beginning of the new people of God. That's not what Moses concedes to. In verse 10, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, 
With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. What Moses did here, I think, was he passed God's test. I think that's what took place. I love a verse to verify my instinct here. I don't think we have it. But what we've got God doing here is saying, listen, while you're up here getting the law, they're down there. They forgot all about me, forgot all about you, and they've made their own idol so suddenly after being redeemed by God's power and might from Egypt. Let's just have a do-over. Let's just start over. Wipe them all out, and we'll start fresh with you. And Moses says, I remember what you promised to Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. And I remember what the Egyptians will likely say about you, God, if you do destroy them. You are a God of love and mercy and grace. You're not a God to save the people from the Egyptians just to bring them and kill them in the wilderness. That's not who you are. And I think by saying that, Moses told God what he knew about the God that he was serving. Because of that intercession, the people continued in that generation. If we go to the book of Numbers, it's not the only time that Moses stood in between the anger of God and the people. Numbers chapter 14, the same thing takes place. Numbers 14, beginning in verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, How long... Will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I've done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you or from you a nation greater and mightier than they. Sound familiar? It's the exact same scenario. I will destroy all that generation and start fresh with you, Moses. Now, the only difference between what took place in Exodus and Numbers here is time. It's time. He stood in between the wrath of God and the hard-heartedness of the people just for a few days, it would seem, in Exodus. Here in Numbers, it's been years. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people and your might from among them. They will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them, and a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people 
into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. I know what the people will learn about you and your power and even your nature. That's not who you are. In verse 17, And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please, pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. There were ten moments in between what we read in Exodus than here in Numbers, where they rejected the word of God, they didn't believe in his message or in his power, didn't trust what Moses had to say about God, and God had to once and again remind them ten times who he was. But the begging of forgiveness and pardon from Moses to get him to relent from that disaster he had planned for this people and to continue to bless them despite their lack of faith, that is something that we see echoed in the New Testament, thankfully. It is a certain thing that when you look at the people of Israel, from time to time when you read about how, lack, how they were lacking in faith, how they tested God, how they tried his patience, how they rejected his word, all these things, when you read about it, you're like, yeah, if it were me, I wouldn't behave that way. Have you ever thought that before? You're like, how in the world can these people see all these physical miracles right in front of their face and still not know who God is? Well, if you've ever thought that, like I have, the good news is this. Israel in the Old Testament is a shadow of who we are in the church today. You look at their lack of faith, we have the exact same thing. You see their fear, is God going to be able to provide what they need when they're on that journey? We have the exact same worry and anxiety today. Is God going to come through and save us from this disaster that's about to happen? We have the exact same thoughts today. Now, we don't have Moses to stand between the anger and the wrath of God when we should be destroyed and not saved and not forgiven. Who we have is Jesus. He's lived on this earth. He's faced all the temptations that we face in this world, all the trials, all the tribulations, and he's able to speak up for us and say, Father, forgive them. God remembers that we are but dust. 
We're fallible. We're humans. That's why Jesus came in the first place. Because we can't do it alone. We can't do it by our own will. God's standard is just too high. And he knows it. That's why he forgives us through Jesus. To close our thoughts out for the morning, we'll go to Numbers. I'm going to read quite quickly here. Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And we just pause right there. That's a huge thing to kind of just gloss over. I mean, Miriam's a huge character in the Exodus, but simply stated, she's no longer there. Now, there was no water for the congregation. You might say to yourself, well, why go somewhere where there's no water? This is, must be the first time this ever happened. No. This is like the fifth or sixth time they've gone to some place where there's no natural body of water for this million people to drink from. So they've been through it five or six times where God has given them water to drink when they were in need. And so you might say to yourself, well, if they've done it five or six times where God's provided water from things that shouldn't produce good water, surely they would remember all those times before and think, well, you know what, there's no water here, but I know from past experience God will give me what I require, therefore God will give us water. You might assume that, right? Well, let's keep reading. <laughs> and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? There is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Deja vu. If you read Numbers, this is just the chorus. I mean, you just come back to this. Oh, I wish we died in Egypt and didn't come all the way out here. There's no water, there's no food. Let's keep reading. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before your eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now we read this. If you already know the other instances in which Moses was able to produce water from a rock. He took the staff and he would strike the rock. And from that rock, it would produce water for a million people. So not just, you know, small containers, not our little balls of water we have available for you at the Welcome Center. It's a lot of water, right? It's an interesting detail that God tells Moses here, speak to the rock. Now we don't have necessarily 
an indication as to why the order was changed, but there's something interesting that takes place. Let's keep reading here in verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, the one he's supposed to speak to, and it will yield forth its water. He said to them, now the tone of Moses here is somewhat different than, please pardon the iniquity of this great sinful people. Please don't forget how, how kind and full of grace and mercy you are. The tone's a bit different. It's been a little bit longer of dealing with this kind of people that's just like us. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Remember that? There was a rock previous. I struck it. Water came forth. And we gave you the water to drink. Did you forget all that? Well, here we are again. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Now you might think that's not what God told him to do. And you're right. <laughs> that's not it. Water came forth or came out abundantly. The congregation drank and their livestock. So you might think, okay, well, water came forth anyway, so I guess no harm, no foul. That's not the way God perceived it. I'm pretty sure he's right about this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. It's a couple of things at play here in this dynamic. The people forgot that God will give them what they need. Sometimes we forget in a crisis, God's still there. He still cares about us. He will give us those things that we need. The other dynamic here is the patience of Moses seems to have been shot. Now, I don't know about you and your family dynamic, but sometimes when you have a long day and you answer maybe a million questions as to why things are the way they are, and your children say, well, why? And then you hear your own parents' voice, because I said so, come out. And you get to a certain point where you just lose your patience We've been in the car before, and someone's asked me a question or asked Melissa a question, and we are just done, you know? We're, we're tapped out. We're done. I'm done. No more questions. I'm done. And then someone will say, I lost my patience. And then someone with a sweet little six-year-old voice back there will say, I'll help you find your patience. <laughs> Girl. Something happened here with Moses. It's been a long road. The people have not shown growth or change or repentance. They've not gotten the message. And it seems almost like Moses, for a minute, didn't show that same growth and change and trust that he once had. 
The Lord says, because you didn't believe in me, because you think that I couldn't produce water from the rock just by speaking to it, you had to strike it? Something was faulty in Moses. He wasn't perfect. And when it comes to us, sometimes we make mistakes too. But one thing that's very special about Moses is even when he was human and he made a mistake, he accepted the consequences of what God told him those consequences were. Moses was able to identify with his own people. He was able to abandon a life of luxury and security to be numbered among the people of God. We have to also be willing to sacrifice a life of luxury and peace to go be with God's people. He was able to stand in between the wrath of God and the people to be an intercessor, to be someone who's a mediator to satisfy both sides. Thankfully, we don't have just Moses, we have Jesus standing in between our sinful nature and God's holy, righteous judgment. And then finally, Moses was human, just like us. His patience was lost, and no one could help him find it. <laughs> he was able to make this mistake and receive correction from God that followed with a consequence. And he was able to accept that consequence and count that as a blessing. Moses is a great person for us to emulate. He was by no means perfect, but from his life and from his details, we can learn so very much. If anyone here this morning can look at the life of Abraham or the life of Moses and see some obvious change that needs to take place in your life, now is the time to react. Now is the time that God has given to us to look within ourselves and see, are we doing the best that we can? Is there change that's preventing us from being a better Christian in this life? If anyone has a need to respond, you can come forward or see one of our elders at the door. If you have a need, please come forward now as we stand and we sing.